Hey friends, you are listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. To learn more about Grace Story and how you can get plugged into our community, visit gracestory.church. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have, been so, I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a little while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they, also ought, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon. One of the things I've enjoyed about This church is the way the pastor dresses down. I appreciate that, yeah. Um, I knew I had hit the nail on the head today when I left the house and my 80-year-old neighbor shouts over at me as she was getting her mail, you going golfing? I said, no, preaching. She just hung her head and shook it, just kind of, sure. So it's a pleasure to address you guys today and to bring the word to you. Uh, my son, Adam, uh, when he was a young man, teenager, he was in high school, and I challenged him to try out for football. Now, granted, it was a homeschool football team, so bear with me. 
But no, he was a good guy. Adam, if you met Adam, if you have met Adam, you know something about the joy that's in him, uh, the tenderness uh, of the person that is Adam. Um, he's a musician. He, he just lets music flow out of him in ways that I don't even fathom. He's just able to do that. And so, <clears throat> but I did challenge him. It was something that he had not ever tried before. And I said, hey, just, just go out there and try your best. So he did. And having played football myself and understood the game and understood what it took, it wasn't long before I said to myself, maybe this wasn't for him, even before he said it wasn't for him. Um, and I'll tell you why. Um, Adam just struggled to catch the ball. He struggled to block. He's just, he's a kind-hearted kid. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. Why, why would you want to hit somebody? So he kind of, kind of, kind of kept it easy on people. And, and so the coach would encourage him, Adam, come on, let's, you know, and he couldn't throw the ball. He was never going to be the quarterback. And so um, I told the coach, I said, coach, understand that, you know, Adams doesn't have an experience in football, but do me a favor, just just give the ball to him and let him run. And so he did. First game, he calls a play for Adam. Adam comes around the quarterback. The quarterback calls, hands it off to Adam. And before you know it, Adam has just left everybody in the dust. There's nobody 10 yards from him, chasing him all down the field. What the coach didn't know is Adam was a sprinter. Adam knew. He couldn't catch the ball, but if you gave it to him, he knew what to do with it. And he knew how to run, and he ran well. And from then on, if Adam said, hey, coach, what do you want to do in this game? The coach would just say, just do your part, run. Just do the part. When I give you the ball, run. Because that's what you do, and you do it so well. So allow me to share. Have you ever, let me ask you this. Have you ever asked yourself, what is my part? What exactly is my part? Now, some of you may be thinking, oh, goodness, here comes the guilt trip. Load the train, it's leaving the station, embarking on this guilt trip. No, not really. Not really. We know some things, and hopefully I'm going to be able to share with you three specific things today, and you'll come away feeling that you don't necessarily know specifically what your part is, but that you can be confident in your part, whatever that might be. So three things I believe God is inviting us to do from today's text. First, find satisfaction in doing your part. Find satisfaction in doing your part. Verses 14 through 17. Have you ever played tug of war? It's kind of a fun sport, right? You lay out this rope, you tie a bandana to the middle of it, you have two lines here, and whoever can pull that bandana over their respective line gets the winning whatever the trophy is, right? And uh, it's fun. Why is it fun? Well, the beauty of the game is that everybody comes with their own uh, weight, number one, right? Weight helps. And then your ability really just to hold on to the rope and pull. That's all that everybody comes to the table with, and that's what everybody contributes. And when you're all done, you can all look at each other with satisfaction that everyone did their best. 
You could look at the little kid, 10 years old, there's always one of those, right, that wanted to get in on the action. You got all the 200-pound-plus guys out there, and then you got a 10-year-old, no, no doubt, some, uh, some boy that's ready to be a man. And he gets out there, and he, got, he does his best. And you just hope and pray that the whole pile doesn't fall over on him. Uh, and then you've got the anchor, right? I think that's what they call him. You know, at the end, he's got it wrapped around his waist. He weighs about... 350 pounds, and, and he's just that anchor. He's going to hold the rope tight while everybody else is pulling. He's just going to lean in and do his job with what God's given him. And so, but, but the cool thing is, is that nobody at the end of the, you know, in football, somebody might look at Adam and say, Adam, man, you missed so many blocks. Adam, you, you missed, he threw the ball to you. Why couldn't you catch it? Whatever. But the cool thing about tug of war is that nobody looks at anybody else and says, you just didn't give your all. It's just a really neat thing that we just all went out there, we put our weight into it, we pulled the rope, and we accomplished something. The church is not that much different, is it? Sure, we have different weights, sure we have different gifts, sure we have different strengths, but we're all leaning into this, and at the end, at the end, however you view the end, whether that's the end of your life, end of time, when we all get to heaven, that we all can all look all around at each other and say, we did this together by the power of God, through the power of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. Fact, Paul did not plant the church in Rome. Did you ever think about that? You think this is probably the most important book in the Bible, some would argue. And yet Paul when we think about all the others, the letter to Colossae, to Philippi, um, to the Ephesians, and so forth, Paul had planted those churches, and he was reaching back out uh, to build into them. And here we have what is arguably the most incredible treaties of theology, of Christology, of, of the gospel, perhaps anywhere found in Scripture. And Paul didn't even know this church. He had never even been there. Were they familiar with the Apostle Paul? Without question. I believe they were. Was he aware of some of the challenges going on in the Roman church? Absolutely, without a doubt. Was he aware of some of the more detailed things like you had the legalists, primarily the Jews, who were basically shouting, hey, you got to be circumcised to be saved. That's part and parcel of what it is to become part of the family uh, through Christ. You had the others that were saying, these are the antinomials, and they were basically saying, look, there's, there's nothing about law, there's nothing moral there's, that's holding you down. Just go and live the way you please, and everything's going to be okay. You claimed Christ, you're good. And yet they were clearly doing something right. Notice the word Paul uses in verse 14 to describe his assessment of the church. He says, I am satisfied about you. Satisfied communicates the idea of meeting expectations, needs, or desires. He's satisfied. And don't forget his comments in the salutation that included, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Partly the reason why Paul knew about 
the church in Rome. Is there was so much talk about it that he actually knew, secondhand perhaps, what was going on there. His part wasn't to plant the Roman church or even serve as its pastor. Paul could declare his satisfaction not because of what he had personally done, rather what the Spirit of God was doing. And his letter was a refreshing shower of rain upon that which was already growing. He states in verse 15, in fact, that he was writing to remind them of things they already knew. Notice that. Paul had written to other churches in which he had invested significant time and effort to build a foundation for growth. Rome was not one of them. In fact, I've always been intrigued by the importance of this letter and the the status it holds within Christendom over against the reality that the author did not even know his audience. Paul found satisfaction in the fact that they were, number one, full of goodness. The text says, you are full of goodness. Paul appreciated that. What Paul wasn't saying here is that they were somehow inherently filled with good. We know better than that, don't we? He was pointing out that the good emanates from a life lived for the glory of Christ. But he also said they were filled with all knowledge. The believer gains knowledge through what? Through truth, preached and taught. Number three, he said, you're able to admonish one another. Perhaps this is the the most intriguing one to me, that he could know somehow. How much would you have to know about a church to know that they were good at admonishing one another? I would argue you'd have to be pretty intimately, um, uh, have at least heard some real detail to say to yourself, yeah, I know, I understand. They're, They're good at admonishing each other. Paul was satisfied with doing his part regardless of being bound by geography, resources, and commitment. If you were to travel from Palestine to Rome, it would be the equivalent of of traveling from Seattle to uh, to, um, Buffalo. From Seattle, Washington to Buffalo, New York. Now, In the day and time we're talking about, that was a long trip, right? So he was bound, at least for now, by the geography. Resources at that point in Paul's life were pretty scarce. And there was commitments he had. The text talks later on that um, he had committed to go to Jerusalem. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. But sometimes we feel bound Do you not? I know some of you are feeling bound right now. You're doing all you can just to make a living and raise kids. Do you feel that? Feel the weight of that? You're doing your part, though. Let me point that out. You're doing your part. And it's a most critical part. Your part right now in this season is to point those little eyes and hearts to Jesus. Is there anything greater? That's what Paul was doing, by the way, if you need to be reminded of that. He was searching the world over 
for Gentiles who didn't know Christ, who had not heard the good news, and he was sharing the good news with anybody that would listen. Perhaps your part is being a gospel voice in your workplace or perhaps in your neighborhood. And you've been doing it faithfully. You've been doing it perhaps for years and haven't seen any fruit. I'd encourage you, do your part. Keep dropping those seeds. The harvest is bound to come in its season. Be satisfied you used the voice and courage God has given you to speak truth in love. From the day Paul was thrown from his horse and blinded by Jesus himself, and let me, for those of you who are taking notes, um, let me point out, this is my second point. Um, we need to recognize the power behind doing your part. Recognize the power behind doing your part. So from the day Paul was thrown off that horse, we know the day, right, on the road to Damascus. He's thrown from the horse. He's blinded by Jesus himself. He recognized it that day and going forward how incredibly powerful the risen Savior really was. Paul was never a so-called one-man show. From day one of his ministry, he was confident of the power of God that fueled his every effort. In the exercise of that power, he always had other men with him. You may remember the names of some of those. Always building into others, always mentoring the next generation, and leaving in his wake those who would carry on the work. Now, Paul recognizes the power behind his efforts. Look at verse 18. I will not speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. He's recognizing the power behind doing his part. Verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders. Was that Paul? Certainly not. He was recognizing the power of behind what he was doing. And again in verse 19, by the power of the Spirit of God. And then to what end? That from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, I am convinced that no amount of playing video games would improve my gaming capabilities. My boys, on the other hand, have like next level, next worldly sort of skill set in the way of video games. Personally, my best eye-hand coordination can be evaluated at home plate in a very slow pitch softball. That's, that's as good as it gets. But my sons just would always blow my mind. Anyway, about 25 years ago, Yes, there were video games back then. Um, I was being routinely torched by my then six-year-old Adam. He was sitting on the floor in front of me because he had the, 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 the controller with the wire, right? And Dad got the cordless one, and I was sitting on the couch behind him. Because quite frankly, if I'm going to be soundly beaten, I'd rather do it in comfort. 
Um, I was used to it by then. But anyway, Danny, my 12-year-old, he walks in the room and comes sits beside me to observe the carnage. Finally, and without saying a word, he held out his hand as if to say, Dad, this is an arterial bleed, let me help. And without saying a word, I gladly relinquished my controller. Now, Adam could not see what was going on behind him. But to be clear, lest you think there was any cheating going on, he did, in fact, continue playing against the name of the guy who was with him at the starting line. Okay, you're probably on to me. My son is my namesake. So um, how this ends, you know. Danny handily caught up, passed Adam with little effort, to win the game. And of course, even before the checkered flag came out, Adam had put two and two together, knowing good and well whoever it was behind that controller was not his dad. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God has the controller in hand. Let's pan out for a moment. Only God could have written the story, right? God had barely finished breathing life into Adam's nostrils before he failed the easiest test ever. A mere eight generations passed before man became so disobedient, so rebellious, so incredibly warped and perverted that God found a mere eight persons willing to get on a boat while he destroyed the rest of creation with a flood. But that's not all. Oh no, just a few generations later, God, having given the command to repopulate the whole world, finds man crowded in around a place we now call the Tower of Babel. Collectively deciding that it was better to congregate than to be obedient to the Creator. And I could go on the point Despite this and much more, Jesus saw fit to use a bunch of fishermen, thieves, and murderers to carry the good news to a lost and dying world. But there's this. Fill those same men with the Spirit of God and anything can happen. This is what Paul was referencing when in his letter to the Philippians he wrote, It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul knew where the power was coming from. And I think we do too. Thirdly, and finally, persevere in doing your part. Persevere in doing your part. Read the book of Acts. Paul's missionary journeys were no cakewalk. He couldn't even travel to where he wanted sometimes. He was shipwrecked, stoned, harassed, boiled in oil, imprisoned. Here we find he has plans to travel to Spain by way of Rome. But not before he made a trip to Jerusalem. This all spelled out in verses 22 through 33. He's sharing... uh, with the body at, Jerusalem, at, at Rome, what his plans were. And he so badly wanted to come and visit them on his way 
to Spain. Was it important that he visit Rome? Absolutely. But not so important that he would miss the opportunity to deliver much needed resources to the church at Jerusalem where they had been suffering loss, a famine in fact. It would be easy to say, well, why didn't Paul hire a courier to take the money to Jerusalem and maybe even include a handwritten note to them of encouragement and then get on his way to Rome? Let somebody else deliver, be the courier. You know, do something really important. That's not the way Paul saw it. Even the smallest of duties were important to him. He considered that gift. By the way, it was from Gentile churches to the Jewish church, largely Jewish church in Jerusalem, which I think he he, he gave these details for a purpose, don't you think? He's talking to a largely Gentile church. And he's just saying, look, there's problems. He was thinking to himself, there's problems in Rome. Let me just emphasize to them that I'm actually carrying a gift from a bunch of Gentiles to a bunch of Jews. That's really cool. Perseverance is often measured in seconds, in minutes, hours, weeks, months even a lifetime. There's typically a pretty wide spectrum of things through which we must persevere. However, regardless of how you measure it, perseverance involves time. If you ask Paul, if you could bring Paul back and we could bring him up here and we could interview him, we said, Paul, did you have enough time to do everything you wanted to do? I would dare say he'd say no. At least from his fleshly perspective, what he could see as a man, I think he would say no. Remember, he never got to Spain. So, yeah, there were things that he wanted to do that he didn't get to do. He had to persevere some pretty horrible, physical, emotional kind of craziness in his world to get the gospel out to where he took it. There is something to say, I think, today, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, be fully there. And I think that's the way Paul led his life, that wherever he was, he was fully there. If he committed to going to Ephesus, he was going to be completely there doing what God had called him to do. And he was going to persevere. Whatever came his way, he was going to persevere. Paul challenged the church at Colossae, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I'd encourage you today to do exactly that. Have that attitude in you that although you can't see the results, you may never see the results, that you'll be faithful and persevere through the hardest things to do what God has called you to do. In conclusion, some of you may be thinking to yourself, well, when is he going to tell me what my part is? 
All right, well, we're about to disembark this train, so listen closely, sharpen your pencil. What is your part? Here it is, your part. What it's not, that's all I'm giving you today. What your part is not. Number one, your part is not to knock down doors. Your part is not to knock down doors. Something I've learned in my 61 years of life is that your greatest ministry opportunities are usually at arm's length. And more often than not, right under your nose. Did you know that even Paul was prevented from going some places that he sincerely wanted to go? Number two, your part is not to assign value to what you do for the kingdom. Your part is not to assign value to what you do for the kingdom. We do this all the time, don't we? You know what? If I could just get to Africa and, and, and reach an entire tribe rather than just meeting and, and doing a Bible study with my 80-year-old neighbor, it would be so much greater. Says who? Says who? Take Paul, the greatest missionary ever in the history of ever, and take him out of the game. Whose idea was that? Remember from here, he actually goes to Jerusalem. The text in the last part there, if you remember, says, or you can look for yourself right now, that he was asking for prayer that those people in Jerusalem would not nab him and do something horrible to him. And what happened? They did. They nabbed him and eventually was put in a jail cart. I don't know what you call it. I'm just calling it the jail buggy. But they put him in that and they, where'd they send him? Rome. He ended up in Rome. Did he want to get to Rome? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he had that pictured though. I, didn't, I don't think he had the jail buggy in mind when he thought, I want to go to Rome. In fact, he had asked them to pray. Did you know there's unanswered prayer? In, in scripture? So here's one, one example. He asked them to pray that he wouldn't come under this attack from the people in Jerusalem and what happened? He was. You ever look at that and say, that's an unanswered prayer? No. It is an answered prayer. God just did his, his way instead of yours. Sometimes when we say, did God answer your prayer? What we're really saying is, did God give you the yes answer? Answered prayers come in a variety of, of um, uh, answers, right? It's not always yes. And God, pardon us today for assuming that everything we ask for is measured by whether he said yes or not. So you're not to knock down doors. Your part is not to assign value to what you do for the kingdom. Thirdly, your part is not being successful. God has called you to be faithful, not successful. Write that down. How many times you look back and see something you did? Maybe you shared the gospel and nobody re responded. You've, you've shared the gospel with this guy at work a hundred times and nothing has happened. It's easy to assign some level of unsuccessful, stamp it, unsuccessful on that effort. That's only if you believe you're doing this in your own power. Agreed? 
Paul would, uh, as, as we pointed out, would finally reach Rome, not as he had planned. That's where, that was the end of the line for Paul. He would eventually die by beheading in Rome. Did he get to see all the people he hoped he'd see? Probably not. He spent a lot of time in jail there. Does anybody remember what he was doing in jail there? He was winning the, the crowds. The, who were the crowds? Well, the guards. He was winning them to Christ. Instead of Paul saying to himself, wow, I've just been taken out of the game. I'm on the bench. I'm done. I'm finished. I've raised the white flag. I'm done. No, he didn't say that. Wherever he went, he carried the gospel, and that included in prison. None of us will likely spend time in prison. Paul did, and he made the very best of it. How bad are things for you? How bad have things been in the past for you? How often have you uh, stamped it with the unsuccessful stamp, whatever it is you tried or attempted to do? It's not your job to rate it. It's your job simply to be obedient. Would you consider that today? Would you consider that today? Do things as God has pointed it out in Scripture. I don't have to tell you what to do because it's all over Scripture, isn't it? God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your ministry. God has a plan to work through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you going to let him do that? Are you inviting him to be on your team? Or are you agreeing to be on his? Let's pray. Father, I trust that you'll speak despite the speaker today. I trust that we'll go from here having just a little greater understanding, a little greater picture of who you are. Thank you for your grace and mercy today. Thank you for the truth of Scripture. Thank you for the power to be the hands, feet, and the voice of the gospel. We're grateful for that today. Make us faithful to it. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. For more resources and information on our church, visit gracestory.church.